We're continuing our series. This will be the final installment for the last four presentations I've been sharing. Pride, the sin that conquers kings. And um, I picked out some kings in the Bible because I thought that the areas where they fell in the department of pride, we all battle those same things. And uh, today we're going to transition a little bit from just talking about some of the problems of pride to be talking about the solution. Amen? Talking about the, the uh, subject of humility. We're going to be going a little bit from the Old Testament to the New Testament and uh, learning about uh, how God sometimes brings us through different experiences to teach us lessons of humility, to help us be more like Christ. Now, I don't know if any of you remember the time when you would fly commercially and at the end of your flight, the captain would meet you as everyone exited the plane. Now, flight attendants still do that. You know, thank you for flying. Hope you can join us again. And thank you. And, you know, but the captains used to do that. After 9-11, not so much. But um, I remember when I was a kid and the captain always came out and greeted every person as they left the plane. I remember... Uh, Sometimes it was a little embarrassing for them if they made a rough landing. Karen and I uh, were flying to Australia or something, and, and uh, it, was, it was a rough landing. We actually kind of bounced down the runway as we came in. And uh, Captain came on and he said, we'd like to welcome you. We've just bounced into Sydney. <laughs> but I remember hearing about this one flight in particular where they, the passengers already had suffered from just a lot of turbulence and then as the plane came in it was an especially hard landing you probably had some of those landings where every one of the plane kind of groans you wonder if the landing gear is going to hold up and uh, the pilot this is back in the days when he would greet people as they exited the plane he went back to the door and he kind of braced himself because you know pilots sort of pride themselves on good landings you don't even feel it coming in and um but it was his job at this time to come and stand at the door, and he thought, oh, everyone's going to comment on that rough landing. But he was pleased that nobody said anything negative. He just welcomed everybody and thanked them for flying, and, and except the last person to get off the plane, uh, this dear old saint with a cane. Uh, she came up, and she stopped, and she sized up the captain. She said, did we land, or were we shot down? <laughs> And that his pride took a dive. You know, the Bible says a haughty spirit goes before a fall, but sometimes the Lord will use uh, challenging things to, to teach us. So we're continuing with our series and dealing with the subject of, of pride and the battles with pride. Before we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, I thought it'd be good for us to talk about probably one of the best illustrations of a proud king you can find in the Bible, and that was the Pharaoh. In fact, the first picture you saw with the title was actually a picture, a painting, a recreation based on the mummy of what they think Ramses II looked like. They're not sure it was Ramses II, but many scholars believe it was, and uh, he actually lived uh, a long life, but it, when they did a very careful autopsy on his mummy, they discovered that he died from drowning, 
and they found remnants of salt seaweed. It wasn't drowning in the Nile, it was drowning in a salt water body in his lungs. And so many have said, well, that settles that. Now, if you watch the movie, The Ten Commandments, the Pharaoh doesn't drown. That's because they needed to write the script that way. But the Bible says the Pharaoh went into the Red Sea and he perished with the soldiers. But he is exhibit A of a, a proud heart. I mean, so many times God gave him evidence as plague after plague came on Egypt when you read the book of Exodus. And he was being encouraged to let the people go, recognize God. These are his people, let them go. And he would harden his heart. He says, I don't know who the Lord is. I'm not going to let his people go. I'm the king. It's all about me. And even when his people were suffering, he didn't care about them. Finally, his counselors said to him, don't you know that Egypt is destroyed? And then he'd try to negotiate with Moses. I'll let you go. Don't go too far. Keep the children here. We keep the cattle. Proud, stubborn. And even after he lost his firstborn, in the Passover plague. He later hardened his heart again. He said, what have we done letting our slaves go? And he chased after them until he finally perished. Now, in the story of the Exodus, you see uh, portrayed the two great characters in the Bible. You've got the character of the devil is represented in the Pharaoh. And the character of Christ is represented in Moses. Now, what does it say about Moses? Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. Do you remember reading that? Humble. The Pharaoh is the extreme opposite of that. How do their stories end? The Pharaoh ends at the bottom of the sea. Pharaoh, uh, Moses goes, climbs a mountain, he's buried by God, and then raised, we know he's in heaven because he appeared to Jesus, didn't he, in the New Testament. One goes as far down as he can go and one goes up. The proud will be humbled, the humble will be exalted. This is a principle we deal with every day because pride is just another form of selfishness. So let's jump to the New Testament. Now you might be thinking, Pastor Doug, there's not that many kings. We already talked about Herod. The Bible says we are kings. Now let me give you some scripture. Look in Exodus 19. I said New Testament, but before we go there. Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. Now therefore, if indeed you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be a special treasure to me above all the people that are on the earth, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. If we endure, we will reign with him. What does the church do? The saved? They reign. Who reigns? Royalty. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal. Who's royal? Kings, queens, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Go to Revelation 1, verse 5. just want to make my case as I talk about the sin that conquers kings. They don't want it to conquer his spiritual kings. 
Revelation 1, 5 and 6, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings. If that's clear, say amen. amen. Has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. Now this is echoing back to someone in the Old Testament who was a king priest. Who is that? Melchizedek. He was a king and a priest, the Bible says. The Bible tells us we're to be called. We're called to be a nation of kings and priests. Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them. Who usually sits on a throne? And judgment was given to them, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And so we don't want to lose our crowns. What was the sin that conquered kings? Pride. Because of his pride, God told Saul, your kingdom will not continue. Now, we've talked about Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, Isaiah, Hezekiah, Herod, Haman, David, Absalom, Saul, Solomon, who was at first a good example of humility. But now let's talk about the apostles who are the leaders of the church. Did they struggle at all with pride and selfishness. Look with me in the book of Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 verse 35. Then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. One version says they came with their mother to get a little more reinforcement. And he said to them, What do you want for me to do? And Jesus already knew. They said, grant to us that we might sit one on your right hand and the other on your left hand in your glory. Why did they say that? Well, because they wanted to be close to Jesus. No, it meant something in a kingdom. The people that had the position on the right and the left, it meant higher status. And when the other apostles heard that they had asked for this, they were angry. Why were they angry? Because they thought of it first. You know, Jesus tells a parable. Turn with me to the book of Luke. I'll comment on the apostles as I read this. Luke chapter 14, verse 7. Go to Luke 14, verse 7. So he told them a parable to those who were invited. When he noted, Jesus saw how they chose the best places. Christ was invited to this house of the Pharisees for dinner. And he saw how the other guests were all jostling for position. Now, you need to understand that in the um, Hebrew culture, when they ate in these courtyards, they'd sit the tables in kind of a U. This gave the servants a chance to come in the middle and serve people. And their feet would often, the tables were low down, and they sat on couches. And, and the people's feet that were eating would go away from the table. And on the inside of the U, the servants would present the food. and. Um, Whoever was sitting by the guest of honor or the host, those were the highest positions. They didn't put little name tags up like they do maybe at a wedding party. But you knew that the honored position in the middle of the U would go to the guest and the host and the closest friends and the pecking order went down from there. And if you were on the outer edges of the U, you were a nobody. So he saw that when he was invited to this dinner, they were all jostling for position of honor. I think I, I mentioned to you that earlier this year, Karen and I were at a religious broadcaster's convention in Florida. We were in Orlando. And um, 
I'm on a, a council of NRB, have been for several years, and members of the council were told the governor is coming to greet, since Governor of Florida running for president now, he's coming to greet the people he was speaking that night to welcome the national religious broadcasters to Florida. And they said that this president's council gets to meet with the governor in a meet and greet. And I thought, well, we're going anyway. I said, that's great, dear, let's meet the governor. So we went early and there was about, oh, 25, 30 people in the room, I don't remember. And we were all sitting there waiting. He was a little late coming. <laughs> and it was interesting to me, Karen and I were sitting, we're in the back of the room, we're visiting with someone from um, Chuck Swindoll's ministry, lovely people. And um, I saw everyone's trying to look casual, but they're all gravitating towards the door where he would come in, in a cluster. And they're kind of like, they're, you know, they're talking like this and they're going, and they're trying to step in front of each other and look casual about it. I'm going, they're all trying to get it. And then once the door opened, the governor came in, it was pretty obvious. And I thought, well, I said, you know, we're probably not going to get to say hi or visit at all, you know. And um, he, it did end up waving. He came over, we shook hands, Karen snapped a picture, and that was nice. But I noticed that I found myself doing some of the same thing. I told Karen, I said, you know, He's coming in. We're sitting here visiting. If you want to meet him, we better get up and get over there. Get in position. <laughs> and Jesus saw how the scribes and Pharisees were always fighting for the highest position. Listen to what he says then. When you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, I think we shared this uh, scripture a few weeks ago, but I didn't talk about it. When you're invited to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. Get up, you have to move to the back of the line. This place is more honored. Then you're humiliated in front of everybody to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place. So that when he who invited you comes, he might say, friend, don't sit there, come up higher. Then you'll have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's a principle all through the Bible. So James and John, they were wanting the position on the right and left. Jesus said, do you know what you're even asking for? Are you able to be baptized with my baptism? You really want to sit close to me? The ones who sit close to me get to share in my sufferings. And uh, they said, oh, yes, we can do it, Lord. And, of course, James was the first of the apostles to be martyred. John was the last of the apostles to die, but he was imprisoned. And one story tells us that the emperor put him in boiling oil to try to kill him, and it didn't. But uh, they suffered. We want the positions of honor. We want the positions of visibility. We want the rank. We want the degrees. It's not just we want the degrees. We want to make sure they mention the degrees when we're introduced. Striving for the highest place. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, this is Paul writing, I withstood him to his face. Now this is the apostle Peter who has been filled with the Spirit. He's cast out evil spirits. He's raised the dead. He's healed people. That's what Paul says. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. He publicly called him out because he was to be blamed. For before, certain men came from James, they came from Jerusalem, some Jewish leaders, 
He was eating with the Gentiles, but when the contingent came from Jerusalem, he withdrew and said, oh, no, no, Gentiles, I don't eat with them. And he separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. He was fearing what the Jews would think, that he had been eating with the Gentiles, so he acted like he wasn't hobnobbing with the Gentiles. Paul said, you're being a hypocrite. You're afraid of what others think of you. You're, you're worried about uh, perceptions. See, Jesus was dealing with this all the time. The, the first volley of Christ's teaching, right out of the gate, when he began preaching, he talked about hypocrisy, trying to impress people of something we're not. Now, I'm not going to identify the person, but our cameras captured somebody at church with their Bible open and the phone laying on the Bible and they're watching a soccer game. <laughs> Trying to look spiritual. It was a dead giveaway when they went, oh! <laughs> we would never do that. Pray to be seen, fast to be seen, give to be seen. Who are we trying to impress? What's more important, impressing people or impressing God, who sees and knows everything? Now, did Peter get upset when Paul called him out? No, Paul was right. Peter humbly accepted it. And later in his letter in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, Paul, our beloved brother, what he writes is scripture. I'm paraphrasing what Peter said. Part of being a Christian is being able to embrace criticism humbly. I remember reading that uh, Abraham Lincoln, during the Civil War, someone came to him and they revealed that a member of Lincoln's cabinet that he had chosen, Stanton, they said, do you know that he's telling people that you are a fool? Lincoln thought about it for a minute. He said, well, you know, I chose him because he's got very good judgment. I probably ought to carefully consider what's being said. <laughs> He always was really good about uh, defacing himself and taking criticism well. Matthew 23, verse 11, He that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Again and again you find this principle. Now, let me, I just pray for wisdom how to say this. It's not in my notes, but I, I did want to say it. Is it wrong to be honored? Is it wrong to be in a position of visibility? No. Um, Joseph went through a great deal of humiliation, but then when his day came, God exalted him because Joseph had put God first. God said, I'm going to honor you. There's nothing wrong with Joseph receiving that honor. He did it humbly. I remember when I first began to do evangelism and I met with some modest success that I was worried. You know, people they say very nice things at the door and, and I went to a pastor, a friend of mine, some of you know the editor of Pacific Press, passed away recently, Marvin Moore. And he was sort of my mentor during that time and I said, Marvin, I'm not sure how to handle this. People are being very nice and, and you know, a lot of compliments and things when I'm preaching. I said, you know, maybe I'm in the wrong field. Isn't this the kind of way a person gets destroyed? And he said, Doug, 
it's not a sin to be in a position of visibility. God needs people that can be in the limelight without being destroyed by it. So it's not a sin if God honors you in some way. Receive it graciously and humbly. So I just want to make that clear. You notice how often Jesus said, he that exalts himself will be humbled. He that humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, God can lift you up. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. And so it's okay that you might get some recognition or some honor. You want to do it graciously. And so that's not a sin in itself, but we shouldn't be seeking it. It's not good for a person to praise himself. Many a bee has drowned in their own honey. And let another praise thee, Solomon said, and not thine own lips. So he repeats that all the time. In the Sermon on the Mount, notice how much Jesus deals with this attitude of humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He's not talking about financial poverty. He's talking about humility. Go to Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. The earth is not going to be inherited by the proud. I remember hearing C.D. Brooks say, at one time where dinosaurs thundered, sheep graze. And in the new earth, it's going to be the meek that will inherit the earth. In this world, it's the proud. And the proud don't want to admit that they're not proud. And people are proud of being proud, but not in God's economy. And it's a sad thing, we're in a world, in a culture now, where we actually dedicate a whole month to being proud about sin. What's with that? That's not the way it is with the Lord. The Greeks and the Romans had problems understanding how do you worship a God, a king, who dies on a cross, who is stripped and humiliated. And this is our God that we worship. So, one of the problems the disciples had was making chronic comparisons. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 22. We were in Luke 14. We're going to Luke 22 now. And I'll read another similar passage. You'll find this principle all through the Gospels. Now there was a dispute. Verse 24. Luke 22, verse 24. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he that serves. For whoever is greater, for who is greater, he that sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he that sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. But notice when Jesus says after that, he's talking about great and small in the kingdom. And then listen to what Jesus said, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me. How does he bestow a kingdom on us? As he bestowed it on Jesus. How did Jesus receive his kingdom? Through humiliation by taking up his cross that you might eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, the universe is very big. You all realize I believe in aliens. 
I believe that there are unfallen creatures that God has made on distant worlds we've never seen. I believe the Bible tells us that God through Christ made the worlds. And you read Revelation about all the creatures in heaven are praising God. So I don't think people are seeing aliens. I think that the unfallen worlds have been told, don't interact with this planet. We've got a disease. The only ones involved in our world are the hospital staff. That's God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the angels. And uh, once we're cleansed from sin and our world's made new, we'll be able to interact with unfallen worlds. But uh, not yet. But where is God moving the capital of the universe? God himself will be with them. He will dwell with them. The new Jerusalem's coming down to our planet. Think about it. When he says that we will live and reign with Christ, we're not reigning over Spain. We're not reigning over, you know, some other country. We're going to live and reign with Christ, giving glory to God, saying we, we've shared in his sufferings for all the unfallen universe. But what can make us lose all that? Pride. We either follow Christ or we follow Lucifer. Lucifer fell through pride. I, I, I. I want the worship. I want the praise. And the disciples struggled with the same thing. They made comparisons. Mark 9.33, he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked the disciples, what was it that you disputed among yourselves on the road? Now, did Jesus know what they were arguing about on the road? What were they arguing about? <laughs> they were embarrassed. They knew Jesus wouldn't like it. They kept silent. For on the road, they had been disputing among themselves who would be the greatest. Is it you? Is it me? No, I'm better than him. Now, we, they all agreed Judas should be the treasurer. They thought he was a great treasurer. They had no idea. We're sometimes pretty poor judges of character. And uh, I think that if the truth is told, most of us have a pretty high estimate of ourselves. I heard a study that was done. I can't relate exactly what it was done. Some college did a study and they asked several hundred men how many of them thought that they would rate when tested as a genius. And you realize that only like 0.2% of the population is technically a genius. But when they asked the men that question, about 20% of them thought they were geniuses. <laughs> How could that be? How many of you are married to a genius? <laughs> so we, we tend to have a pretty high estimate, at least men do, I guess, of ourselves. And the disciples, I would love to have heard that conversation, which of them was the greatest? You know, 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this in verse, chapter 10, verse 12, 2 Corinthians 10, 12. We dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. People spend a lot of time comparing ourselves among ourselves. And uh, how often we're looking horizontally, wondering if we're just a little better, a little taller. That's how fashions develop. You ever think about how the fashions that we have now develop? Is there somebody somewhere that stands up and says, okay, everybody stop. Tomorrow we're starting a new fashion. Go buy the new wardrobe. How does that ever happen? Little by little, someone starts dressing outside of the box and someone else says, ooh, that's cool, and they follow. 
And uh, we all kind of look around to see what everyone else is wearing, what everyone else is doing. Matthew 26, 33, Peter answered and said, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Now, you know what Peter had just said? Even if all of these fail, I will not fail. What was he doing? Comparing himself to the others. We often do that. And what happened after Peter denied Jesus three times? Then Jesus, by the sea, he, he asked Peter. He said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? You notice that? He said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter, now he's gotten the point. He said, Lord, you know that I love you. He wasn't going to now compare himself with anybody else. If you're going to compare yourself to someone, compare yourself to Jesus. Paul said, don't follow me except as I follow Christ. Amen? And, and this is where, you know, you look at the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thy neighbor's wife, thy neighbor's hardware, donkey. You start looking horizontally over the fence at what someone else has and say, how come I don't have what they have? And everybody in the neighborhood has one of those. I ought to get one too. And we go into debt trying to keep up with the Joneses because we're comparing ourselves with others. You know, that springs from pride. Envy from pride. Jealousy from pride. James 3.13 Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that he, his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Now God wants us to be wise, but he wants us to be meek at the same time. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above. It is earthly, sensual, demonic, Wisdom that is proud, the Bible says, is a demonic. Is the devil smart? Yeah, it says you are wiser than Daniel. The, the Satan, the highest of God's angels, no doubt, very intelligent. But he's foolish in not recognizing God. I mean, you think about it, or just on its very basic level, for the creation to try to overthrow the creator is pretty foolish. But that's what we do sometimes, is we put ourselves ahead of God. Yeah, wisdom, man's got a lot of wisdom. We got a lot of technology. It's called artificial intelligence. It's not real. <laughs> the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's real intelligence. Amen? So, what's the solution? If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, then he will hear from heaven, he will forgive our sin, and he will heal our land. But this is also an individual prayer. Now, as I was looking at the different kings in the Bible, I want you to notice something. Here's the good news. We talked about all these kings that fell through pride. I want to show you how God blessed and showed mercy to all of the kings that humbled themselves and prayed. Follow me, I'll give you about five examples, but this is not all of them. Second Chronicles 34, verse 27. This is Josiah. 
because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard the words against this place, God was going to judge Jerusalem because of their sins and against its inhabitants. And you've humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and you wept before me. I have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. In other words, I'm going to show you mercy because you humbled yourself. I'm not going to bring judgment on you or the city during your life because you humbled yourself. Okay, that's one example. Now go to 2 Chronicles 12, verse 6. So the leaders of Israel and the king, Rehoboam, humbled themselves, and they said, the Lord is righteous. Now when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying, they've humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them. Now, I don't want to be destroyed. A haughty spirit goes before destruction. Humility comes before mercy. I'll give you another one. Get your credit card out. There's several here. Second Chronicles 32, verse 26. Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart. He and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. God extended their tranquility and blessed them and showed them mercy because they humbled themselves. 1 Kings 21, verse 28 and verse 29. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab, I could just stop there. Ahab, good king or bad king? Bad king. Matter of fact, the Bible says there's hardly anyone as bad as Ahab. He killed innocent people, persecuted the prophets, worshiped false gods. I think Manasseh was worse than Ahab, but Manasseh was the southern kingdom. Ahab was the northern kingdom. But listen to what happened when even Ahab humbles himself. God says to Elijah the prophet, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring calamity in his days. A curse was resting on the northern kingdom. God was going to wipe them out. But Ahab repented. He tore his clothes. He humbled himself even after murder, and God showed him mercy. But wait, there's more. Second Chronicles 33, verse 12. Now when Manasseh was in affliction, Manasseh, good king or bad king? Bad king. Child sacrifice, worshiped other gods, brought idols into the temple of the Lord, killed the prophet Isaiah, bad dude. He was carried off by the Assyrians to Babylon. The Assyrians occupied Babylon at that time. And they put him in jail. Now listen to what happened. When he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, not the idols he had been worshiping. And he prayed to him. And he, God, received his prayer and heard his supplication, brought him back to Jerusalem, into his kingdom, then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Pride comes before a fall. Humility comes before mercy. Now, I don't know about you, friends, but I need mercy. Amen? The penalty for sin is death. How many sinners out there? That's all of us. All have sinned. Do we need mercy? We need to humble ourselves. You know what that's called? Repentance. We repent of our sins, we humble ourselves, and we find mercy. 
The Bible says God resists the proud. This is James 4, 6. It's found three places in the Bible. God gives more grace. Therefore, God says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We are saved by grace, aren't we? Through faith. If you want saving grace, humble ourselves before God. You know the parable Jesus tells about the um, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. They're very religious people. But you can be religious and have pride, can't you? And one was a publican. Publicans were, they were just sort of the mafia tax collectors. They were, yeah, they're often lumped together with uh, Samaritans and prostitutes and publicans. And they were in the lower dregs of society. But they both show up in church. And the Pharisee, he stands and prays with himself. And he says, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like other men. What's he doing? He's not comparing himself to God. He's comparing himself to other men. That's not your standard. You will always find somebody that you're better than. But not Christ. Compare yourself to Christ and you'll see you need to humble yourself. I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector back there. Well, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And he probably was telling the truth. But the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. He bowed his head, humbled himself, beat on his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It wasn't a long prayer, was it? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man, the man who humbled himself, he went down to his house justified. That means forgiven. Rather than the other, the other was not. He was declaring his own righteousness and he'll have to go to the judgment with his own righteousness. And I'll tell you, friends, it won't work. Whereas the other man was looking for the mercy of God. And Jesus said he was forgiven. One was looking vertically. One was looking horizontally. And then Christ closes his parable by saying, again, this is the gospel of Luke. Luke has a lot to say about pride and humility. He said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Pastor Doug, why are you spending so much time talking about this? Because Jesus tells us in prophecy, in the last days, the seven churches, the last church is what, what church? Church of Laodicea. That phrase, by the way, means a judging of the people, living during a time of judgment. What's the condition of Laodicea? The people, they're religious, they're part of the church. They think they're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and they don't know that they're poor and wretched and miserable and blind and naked. They have a spiritual self-sufficiency. They have a spiritual pride. And what does Jesus say? I counsel you to repent. Humble yourself. We've got to realize that without Christ, we're destitute. We have nothing to brag of. Paul talking about the characteristics of love. He says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Now, every one of us, every day, we become more like the Pharaoh or more like Moses. We're more like Christ or more like the devil. You're never more like the devil than when you're proud. You've heard me say that before. And you're never more like Christ than when you humble yourself. 
I remember reading about uh, a great evangelist, Dwight L. Moody. You'll often see it just as D.L. Moody. And um, he was probably in the 1800s, later 1800s, the most famous preacher in the world. He had been preaching in Europe and North America, very successful, very effective evangelist. I've got some books by him that I read, and he, he's got uh, really good theology. By the way, he believed in keeping all Ten Commandments. And um, good preacher, real practical, was not educated as a pastor. He kind of came from the working class and just felt the call to ministry. He had people coming around the world to his institute that he had in Massachusetts where he taught principles of evangelism. And on one occasion, uh, a contingent of pastors had come from Europe and they stayed in the dorm and they put their boots outside the door at night because the custom in that part of Germany was you'd always set your boots outside the door in the hotel and the servants would come that night they'd gather them they'd shine them and they'd bring them back in the morning well Pastor Moody he was going up the halls praying for all the students and he saw the boots outside the door and knowing the custom he said oh these are the guys from Europe they don't realize we don't have servants that do that here in America let alone in our barracks so he went and talked to one of the other students and says, you know, they're, they're, they left their boots outside the door and, and the other students thought that was kind of funny. And he was hoping that someone would get the hint. Finally, he took this half a dozen sets of shoes and boots back to his room, stayed up that night and began to shine all of their shoes. And no one would have ever known except someone saw the light on his room. They came in, saw what he, what he was doing and they helped him finish the job and they said, that's the kind of man that he was, is that uh, here he is, he's the most famous preacher in the world, but when he saw that someone needed their shoes shined, he remembered the story where Jesus, seeing that the apostles wanting to sit on the right and the left of Jesus, fight, fighting about the highest position, they weren't going to wash each other's feet. And Jesus finally got down and he, he washed the feet of, uh, of the apostles. And Moody understood that lesson. The Bible tells us that um, this is what it really means to be a Christian. Moody said, be humble or you will stumble. You know, one of my favorite verses is from the book of Micah. We named one of our boys Micah because it was, I love this verse so much. It summarizes what it means to be a Christian. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and what's the rest of that? Walk humbly with thy God. And that is something that you're going to find every day you need to work on. Every day we're tempted by pride and selfishness, putting ourselves first, thinking and looking horizontally, comparing ourselves among ourselves, and we just need to pray, Lord, give me the Holy Spirit. Help me, nudge me every time I realize that this is pride and that I can humble myself. And in doing that, you will find mercy and you will find peace.